Thank you, Leslie and Paul. Good to see you all here on a wintry May day. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles once again to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And uh, we will, I think for right now, we're going to begin reading at verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and read, um, I think we'll just stop at, oh, let's read through verse 31. We're not going to get there, but it shows the context of how Jesus, once again, will use a happenstance uh, meeting to uh, literally shape the disciples' thoughts going forward. We're not going to get to that part of it, but let's start now. Mark chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 17. Mark 10, 17. When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not, I'm sorry, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go in, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left it all, and have followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word, and let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father, uh, once again, it is a great joy and privilege that we're here gathered in this place, that we can commune with You. And Father, as we open the Word, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us with it, Father, that You would bring us to a new level of understanding. Father, along with that, may obedience be following as well. Uh, Father, we thank You for each one that's here today, that You would bless them, their families, Father, you know their innermost challenges, their thoughts, all of the things that make them who they are. You know their needs before they do. Father, I ask that you would just wrap your arms around them, giving them an encouragement of strength and love, giving them endurance. But now, Father, these moments right now that we have that we're gathered for, we would ask that the Holy Spirit exclusively would be our teacher, that we look to you, feeling your love, your adoration, your guidance, your direction, your truth in which we stand. We'll ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, this study we've been engaging in Mark is certainly, uh, for myself, has been just that, very engaging. Um, we've come through uh, 
a number of sessions um, and with no particular direction, I guess, initially, where we'd end up here. And we're not done, obviously. We're continuing to move. But it's interesting to watch Jesus' travels as he's been going through. And there's large crowds that followed him. I mean, he had the crowds. He had, I'm sure that uh, there weren't necessarily, you know, the Jerusalem Times or such publications as such. But those that were in the nose, those that were following what was popular, he would have been that for a while. His, his ministry would have opened up, particularly in Galilee. He spent most of his ministry there and followed by large groups of people. And then as we hit that climax, he had literally the seminar on the bread of life. And he wasn't speaking physically, which they wanted to be fed more and more. And they would be like the, the traveling McDonald's in only better food. Can you imagine how good the stuff was that Jesus had out of those few fishes and those loaves? And, and they would have said, I can still, in a family that was in that setting, Honey, you got to get that recipe. It's unbelievable, right? But that's what Jesus does when he handles what we're up to. But at any rate, then things changed. Uh, the crowds left him, literally. They left him. And he begins traveling towards Jerusalem. He knew that his time was nearing, about probably six months left. And he would have went on the east side of the Jordan. We looked at that in that, little, in that part called Perea. We took it, looked at divorce and God and uh, a question about divorce from the Pharisees. They were going to take Jesus to task, and if you remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the fact that they were trying to try to discredit him. I mean, again, Jesus, what, was it, what do you really say about divorce since Moses gave us the opportunity and literally gave us a commandment to divorce our wives if we needed to? Oh, that's great. Way to open that one up, right? And here they were trying to discredit Jesus, but even more importantly, they were trying to destroy him because John the Baptist had been beheaded in that very province by uh, Herod Antipas. It would have been a great opportunity to expose him and maybe potentially have him beheaded. It's take care of both problems. Well, Jesus used that as a teaching opportunity. Uh, and we spent a couple of weeks there. We actually dove into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 to kind of bring some sense of, I'm not going to say finality, but a large, more robust treatment of divorce and marriage. At any rate, Jesus, <laughs> the disciples said, whoa, if marriage is permanent, who you, why would we want to get married at all? Right? And, that, and he worked through that, didn't he? Well, here we have another situation. Uh, now, we skipped a few verses today. We'll hopefully come back and just wrap those in because I think it, it almost fits when we go back to see how this thing is all developing. Uh, that Jesus took that opportunity to talk about family. He talked about husbands. He talked about wives. He talked about divorce. He talked about things that are very intimate in the sense of family relationships. But then, it's as such, he used another opportunity. Here comes this young man. We read this passage just a moment ago about... Uh, he is described as a young man. There are three passages we'll maybe go back and forth. This is uh, one of those incidents that's recorded in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this particular instance of what is described from the, from the uh, adjectives surrounding him, the young, rich ruler. And here comes this man, literally, running. Jesus is walking. And probably, again, crowds would have been surrounding him to some degree. But again, his intimate course at this point was with the disciples. Uh, we won't get to that today in this episode, but here comes this one that, again, no, he wasn't on the slate. He was, didn't have an appointment. He just shows up, and he's running to Jesus, and then literally kneels before him and asks a question. <laughs> what do I have to do to give eternal life? You can see the urgency. You can feel the urgency in his, his old demeanor, Right? And what would you say? Well, don't even answer that yet. Because let's say somebody ran up to you. In fact, there was, I was reading with, it was just, again, a passing story, but someone was in an airplane a number of years ago, a pastor, and he was reading of the Bible. 
And there's a man came and sat beside him, and he said, I see you're reading out of the Bible. Could you tell me how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Whoa, that cuts through a lot of extra pages, right? <laughs> it would seem like the... So we would call those people seekers. Seekers. S-E-E-K-E-R. Seekers. Um, now, this man was seeking. This rich, running ruler coming back to... Rich, young ruler coming back to him. He was seeking. But what was he seeking? He said eternal life. He's very earnest, obviously. He's running and kneels before Jesus. How's Jesus going to handle this? How would we handle it? What would we say? What would we say to this person that comes? Could you tell me how to have eternal life? Or maybe more even for us today, how do I get to heaven? And what would you say? Most of you would probably say, and not wrong, just believe in Jesus Christ. That is not what Jesus told this man. He could have said about a week from now, and probably is a little longer than that because they hadn't gotten to Jericho yet, according to Luke chapter 19, but they were on their way. They were coming through Perea. They were going to go through Jericho and then climb up to Jerusalem, 2,700-foot elevation. above. They're actually below sea level where they're kind of traveling right now. So he's got a ways to go, but it's not very long. And he could have said, I'll tell you what, buddy, here's the deal. You want eternal life? You have come to the right place at just about the right time because I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to give my life. But he, he's been telling the disciples he's going to be killed, isn't he? Hasn't he? He said that. He's been talking about the internal aspects all through his ministry. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here he is. And Jesus could have said, you know, I'm going to be crucified in a couple of weeks. And it's going to be for your sin. And all you got to do is believe in me for that. And you will have eternal life. Doesn't that sound like a great answer? It isn't what Jesus said. And I'm thinking, and I mean, you just take this story. Here's this rich young ruler. And he, we'll talk about that, those... Uh, Adjectives in a moment. He comes before the one that knows all, kneels before him, and you would say, oh, how could you make it any better? This is the one place that salvation is going to happen. The guy's looking. He's apparently pretty candid, right? And he seems from the external to be very humble because he's, he's bowing before this one that he's declared as being good, teach, a good teacher. And it's the one time that I can think of, and there's probably more, but there's one time as I was studying today that anyone that approached Jesus went away better than they came. This, however, is the opposite of that. This man came as a rich, young ruler and left and departed in grief after meeting Jesus. Whoa. What did Jesus say, right? I mean, what was it? There's no question that this man came with an earnest question. He was very involved in wanting to know. Um, one of the things that we would say, uh, do, you know, do you know of seekers today? We're going to use that word a few times today because I think that's, it's relevant to where we're at today. Um, what are you seeking? We actually have a, a little youth group on Friday nights now. We call it the truth seekers. We're looking for truth. It's amazing how often that we dig into something that has nothing to do with where we're at. And the kids would absolutely nod their heads and smile because we go places that we don't have an agenda, shall we say. But you know what? We're wanting to find the truth. We want to find God's perspective on life. We want to see where does God's truth take us. Okay? So there's, there's obviously that, and that is a very valid point, is seeking truth. And today it's harder to find from the general society than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Sixty years old, I've never seen truth more, more absent from regular thinking. And the further away we get, the further away we get. Isn't it true? Unbelievable. Pick up the media. Just any media source today. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, just, I listened to something last night. I was like, good heavens. 
What are they thinking? Where are they coming from? Well, they're not coming from the Bible. That's the problem. At any rate, what do you think? Let's, let's, let's take this young, rich ruler. Let's, let's tear that apart for a moment. When we know he's young, in fact, let's find this because, you know, something. Well, how do we know he's young and he's rich and he's a ruler? Well, you have to take all three gospel accounts and you'll find that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. I think we'll find the young part there. Because um, he, he has been, he would probably make one of the top ten in this area as being a progressive, uh, insightful, flourishing, prominent young man. But let's go to Matthew chapter 19, which would be the, uh, the other section of, or, or the, I'm sorry, the parallel passage. And in verse 20, it's the same, uh, the same passage, starts in verse 16, and it goes to verse 22. Do you mind, should we just read it? I mean, it's, it's good to get another perspective. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Behold, one came and said unto him. Uh, now that word behold, it's just out of the blue. All of a sudden, they're just walking along, having a nice casual conversation, probably amongst themselves, and people are just, you know how it is, they'd be just walking along the trail. And behold, Matthew says, this guy just drops in front of him and scares the dickens out of us. Now, he didn't say that, but you get it. Behold is that kind of a word. Remember uh, when the angels came. Behold, uh, whoa, the shepherds are saying, what is this all about? I mean, you're, you're, you're amongst the sheep, you're sort of sleeping almost, and the you know, sheep are just kind of bedded down. And behold, the angels come and sing, right, or say, glory to God in the highest. That's a kind of a behold moment. Well, here's this guy, just out of the blue, he just lands, okay? Let me get my glasses on again. Um, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? There's the question. And he said unto him, Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, he added, did you see that last part? He's just like, dink, uh, if you think, you know, he starts from, uh, we'll get into the Ten Commandments in a moment. Now, let's talk about it now for just a second. Okay. So you have Ten Commandments. There's basically two tables, if you will. The last ones are the ones that are relationship with man. That's the one that Jesus works on. The first ones are the relationship that one has with God. So, you know, it's easier probably to have the ones with the relationship with man. If you're going to keep them, these are the ones. So that'd be a place to start. Jesus, again, is poking right at the problem, which our dear young rich ruler has no idea what the problem is. Honestly, he doesn't. There's one word that I want you to, I'm going to write it down, because it's the key to this entire passage that blows the whole thing wide open. And it's a word that is actually good. The word is good. Good. He says good teacher. Good master. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to write that. Nothing more about it right now. But good, that was the key. That's actually the component that our, our rich young ruler has no concept of. That's the problem. But at any rate, so Jesus lists these five commandments. Kind of works in backwards, actually. It starts from thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Now, those two externally, probably there's a lot of people in this world that have not committed those two crimes or broken those commandments, literally, outwardly, externally. But if you go to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, You have said that thou that you have not killed, but if you hated your brother in your heart, you are guilty of murdering. Oh, right? And if you look at the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, it's really interesting. Jesus was not looking at externals. He didn't care what you looked like. What are you thinking like? What's inside? What's behind that? What's behind all of that outward external stuff? And our rich young ruler, Jesus didn't start with the hard stuff. He started with the easy stuff, which again is impossible even. 
correct? The way he described it. But let's go back now and let's continue on in Matthew chapter 19. The young man, oh, did you see that? Now we have our first description. Verse 20, chapter 19, calls him a young man. Ah, this guy's young. Well, we also know just in the, ver in the, in the, the, pet, the uh, unfolding of the story, this dude is rich. <laughs> he's, he's rich. And it also says that he's a ruler. Let's go to, I think we'll find out in Luke chapter 18. Let's go there for a moment. Luke chapter 18. So we've been actually in all three of those when we go to Luke. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and let's take a look at verse, where are we at here? Verse 18. Verse 18, Luke 18, 18. That's simple enough. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do in inherent life? So, eternal life. So, it's interesting. Now we have our guy described. He's young. He's handsome. Oh, I didn't see the handsome part. He's rich, and he's a ruler. Now, uh, where does your mind go when you hear a ruler? He's young and he's rich and he's a ruler. What's a ruler? Uh, well, probably in that would have been just a ruler of a synagogue. He would have been. You can get a sense of his religiosity as, as well. He's, he's very, he's steeped in all of the, he knows all this stuff. It, did you see how he responded to those five? The, almost like the second five, uh, or uh, the easy five. How about that? Jesus lays out, oh, but, but well, just keep the commandments. Uh, you want to go to heaven? You want to he just said, you want eternal life? Yeah, just keep the commandments. This isn't new stuff. That's what God said from the beginning, back in Exodus. You would know that because you're in religion. You know that just keep the commandments, dude. That's all you got to do is just keep the Ten Commandments. That's simple, isn't it? <laughs> he says, well, basically, you just live the law, and it'll all be good for you. It's, it's no problem here. What do you think he's poking at? Well, it actually started before that. Jesus went right to it because this, one, this man that knelt before him addressed him as good teacher, good master. What is good? What is good? Now, there are two different perspectives. From this rich young ruler that approached Jesus, what would good mean to him? Did he think he was good? Or let's just, let's even, let's make it contemporary. I don't know, let's just do a little survey. Let's walk downtown Sheridan here between Walters and and the Napa story, you're just kind of hanging on the street. And someone walks by. And you kind of, yeah, just, I don't know, just, hey, good morning, how are you? What do you think of the weather? And rah, rah, rah. Hey, by the way, do you think you're good? No, I'm actually a louse. I'm probably as bad a loser as you've ever seen. No, they're not going to say that, are they? Well, what are they going to do? This is really important. They're going to view their sense of goodness on a relative scale, aren't they? They're probably going to have someone in their mind that they are better than. Their perspective of good is relative. Ask someone that's going to go to heaven. Yeah, I'm good enough because I'm better than... Or you kind of take the good stuff and the bad stuff and I, I do more good stuff. So that means I'm good enough to get there. That's probably where this young man was coming from. Uh, and by the way, if you, if you were rich, the young part didn't probably matter. It even makes it more accelerated though. He's young, rich, and a ruler of a synagogue potentially. I mean, things are going your way. You must be good. That's where the disciples got this wrong. It's amazing. In Prosperity Gospel, that's why they're on television. That's why they grab money, because they sell stuff. They're selling the gospel. I mean, if you, if you, if you accept Jesus, your life's going to be fantastic, and it's all going to be good, and it's going to be roses everywhere, and you're going to be rich, and God doesn't want you to be. You're going to be healthy and wealthy and wise, and it's all good stuff. 
I don't see that in my Bible. They must have ripped those pages out. Paul's life was not easy. Jesus' life even, the perfect one, the sinless one, his life was complicated in the sense of all of the pain and the punishment that came to him. Crucifixion. Did you miss that? Oh, it was okay for him to suffer, but you won't because he did. Really? Count it all joy when you fall into various times of wealth? No. Count it all joy, brother, when you fall into trials. You see, it's, it's a game. It's a salesmanship thing. This guy here had bought it, and he just wanted one more thing to add to his little collection of goodies. He was rich. He was powerful. He was probably very well respected. The other thing that's interesting about him, at least on the external, you would have to say that the man appeared to be humble. Why do I say that? How many rich young rulers of a synagogue would come running to this Jesus that had flooded the neighborhood in the sense of unpopularity amongst the religious people? Religiosity wanted nothing to do with this one called Jesus. And he kneels before this guy and says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? I mean, that seems to be very humble, doesn't it? It seems like a humble request. But to him, good was all relative. He was better than, in fact, you remember that little that parable that Jesus, this is not a parable, by the way. This is an actual true life story. Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road, and all of a sudden, out of the hole, behold, here comes this guy, and he's real, and he's rich, and he's young, and he's powerful, and he has a question. But to him, good is all about better than someone else. Does that sound like the place you and I live? You better believe it. And Jesus immediately, he's so good at knowing just where to push. And he does it right away. He commands him a second. He said, uh, why do you say good? There's only one good, and that's God. That went right over his head. Boom, zippity doo da, gone. Do you think that he saw this one he's standing in front of, this Christ, Jesus, as God? I don't think so. It's interesting that the Bible says he kneeled and he didn't worship. That's right. He kneeled. Yeah. Paid respect. But there are lots Ultimate. of other places where it says they came before him and they worshipped him. Yeah. Here it says he kneeled. Yeah. He, did. he paid homage, if you will, without, by the way, he couldn't. You know why he couldn't worship him? Even if, even, no, he's, he didn't. I did not, I do, just as, as uh, Bill has pointed out. Uh, he kneeled, didn't worship, but even if he had recognized, I don't believe he did, recognized this one, this Jesus, as being God, God's son or the Messiah, the Christos, as Peter said, that declaration that literally began to begin, began the seminars of direct communication with the disciples. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Even if he would have said that or meant that, you know what? He wouldn't have been able to worship him, honestly. Now, he could have done it blasphemously because ultimately his whole life is blasphemy at this point. That's a really big word. But you know the one thing that he hadn't done? He was still worshiping an idol. He was not worshiping God. Because there's one commandment, the first one, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul. That one he broke every single moment of every single day because God wasn't his God. And that's why he couldn't worship him. Even, and I, I don't think he really recognized who Jesus was except knowing his reputation, knowing that he was a teacher, and he knew that he was a moral. So if he were moral, now, yeah, I would have to say this, Rich Young, he's a very moral, upright guy. He's respected. He would have been one that would have been seen. Oh, that guy has got it going on. He probably even made it in Jews today. I don't know. It's a making that up. But the point of he could have been interviewed, and he would have sold a super good interview, couldn't have he? I mean, this is the guy that's on the show. He's going to someday be the leader. 
And Jesus pokes, pokes right back. What, what do you mean good? There's only one that's good. That's God. Now, what have we just done? In that one statement, something happened. Good is not a relative term. Now, there are relative terms in the sense of badness, right? There are worse bads than, you know what I mean? It, it is. There, there are, now, in God's eyes, sin is sin. But I'm going to, you know, uh, James chapter 2, verse 10. If you offend at one point, you're guilty of all. That's not my point. My point is, though, the difference between taking a, a six-pack of Pepsi out of a store, it's a sin. It's just as wrong in the sense of breaking the law. But when you murder someone or commit adultery, the impact, the consequences of it are far outreaching. So my point is, is that there are relative degrees within badness. But mark this carefully. There is no relative in good. It is an absolute, and it's based on God and God alone. That's what Jesus was trying to get at. Now, the first wave, um, it, you know, he, maybe the rich running manager just took that in front. Oh, that's, that's, that's right. Good is not on a scale. There's only one good. That's, that's right. He didn't do that. So Jesus poked to the next thing. He said, well, just keep the commandments. You'll be fine. Just, <laughs> do you think he really meant that? Is that, what, is, that what, is that what the gospel is about? No, but you know, grace will never be understood. That's why someone that wants to de de detach the Old Testament from the New Testament, they have no idea what the gospel is then. Because you must know the judicial response that God has to place on sin, and that is spoken of in the Old Testament. It requires death. All of those things that are declared to be fixed because we're not good is addressed in the Old Testament. And if you don't know that, then you would be like this rich young ruler. Then you've made it only as good as you need it to be. This is an add-on package. You know, he's going through his life. Uh, we said this, maybe I already said this, but let's say it again. So he's rich. What would be better than just being rich? Being young and rich. You've got a whole life in front of you, right? And he's very prominent. But if he could just have something that he's missing, and I've run into, I actually have had a conversation the last couple of weeks with a, with a lady that talks about, ah, you know, and she's probably, uh, I'm going to say 50-ish, maybe late 40s, right? Oh, I, I, I just, I, I just don't, I, I thought I'd be further along in life than this. I thought I'd have more happiness. I'd have more, I don't know what I'm missing, but I'm missing something. Well, I know what she's missing. But if I told her that right then, no, that's not it, right? But God is leading. I, I really do believe that God is leading. Now, this person, think of this now for a moment. I do think the Holy Spirit is working in the sense of, I mean, how much closer could you get to the gospel than the gospel? In fact, let's look like eternal life for a moment. This is a little bit off subject, but not really. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. You talk about asking the right question of the right person. Wow, this rich young ruler had the perfect, perfect one to answer the question. First John chapter 5, verse 20. Very last part of, and it's amazing. We'll actually read, I just I saw it right now. Uh, verse 21. Let's read verses 20 and 21, 1 John chapter 5. And we know, verse 20, chapter 5, 1 John, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and Eternal life. What would be a, what better question to ask than the one that truly is even talked about by John the Apostle as being eternal life? Now look at this, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. <laughs> that verse, it's almost like a tack on, but you know what? It's the key to all of it. And here's this rich young ruler, literally, he didn't know. If you would have told him he was an idolatrous 
false God-worshipping freak, he would have been offended. But that's what he was. And Jesus is going to expose that. He's going to uncover that. So he talks about the commandments. Let's go back to Mark. Let's go back to our text, Mark chapter 10. And let's take a peek. What does Jesus do next? Well, let's go to verse 18 once again. Jesus said unto him, Mark 10, 18, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Now, Jesus isn't necessarily claiming himself to... No, what he's doing is trying to break away, peel away this artificial veneer that this rich young ruler has that he's good. And how do I know that? Because I'm rich, I'm young, and I'm a ruler. What could be more obvious? In fact, that's where the disciples would have stumbled. If you would have asked them right now, we'll find it later in the text. We read it. We won't get to it this week. But you think this rich young ruler, do you think he's a, you think he's a godly man? Do you think he's, I mean, is he in God's favor? Well, of course he is. He's rich. Right? Again, I'm going to come back one more time. The prosperity gospels are sold until they're sold. You have to buy stuff to get this stuff, right? And the perception is that if you're rich, if you're, you, you, yeah, you got it. God's on your team. No, no, no. A thousand times no. That's not the gospel that I read. That's not the gospel of Christ's. That's a man-made thing. And you know what? This young ruler, we're going to skip way ahead, he literally was willing to trade all of the stuff he had today. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. He was not willing to trade what he had today for what he wanted in the future. Now, that's a perfect description of an idolatrous worshiper. More important today than what I know I need tomorrow. Now, again, there was a vacuum. There was something missing in this man's life. That's why he came. You could just see it. There's a distraughtness to it. I mean, to come and run to this person and fall down before him, at least in respect, and saying, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He knows he's missing something. And it's amazing how there's that vacuum within every single human being, particularly when you get that age of accountability. If you don't have Christ, there's something missing. You will chase and chase hard, looking for it, and it will always come up empty, just like that woman I just told, I spoke to you about in her upper 40s, and she just feels so unfulfilled. I, 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 right? That's not abnormal. That's the way we're made. That's why this rich young ruler was really at the, at the feet of Jesus Christ. Was perfect. He probably did never have a chance again like that to find eternal life. But you notice something? Now, I don't know. There would be those that would argue with me on this. In the Jewish uh, culture or tradition, uh, eternal life would equal salvation to them. I'm not sure that he even sees he needs salvation. I don't think that word is one eight. He asked for eternal life. It was like an add-on bonus round. I got everything I want in this life. Now, the only thing better would be is if I could have it forever, right? Now, here's the thing about eternal life. Uh, don't think of it as a quantity or a duration. It's a quality of life. It's the sense of when I think of eternal life, I'm thinking about being with God forever. Not, not that forever in the sense of, and of course, there is no such thing as quantity in eternity. You know, you don't go by years. He was before, and he, there is no ending. But it's a quality. It's more than a quantity. To this young man, I'm not sure it was a quality, because he had all the quality he thought he needed. It was truly just being able to do this forever. And if someone looks at heaven that way, or eternity that way, that's not even the correct definition of what eternity is about. It's about a quality of life. It's about responding 
to God. That's really what life is, isn't it? To responding to the circumstance or environment in which you find yourself being. A dead person cannot respond. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, we are dead in trespass and sin. What can a dead person do for themselves? Nothing. This rich young ruler, even though he's active, he's dead spiritually. Doesn't even know it. But he just wants more of the same. So Jesus says, okay, I guess this didn't work. I just told you that good, that's only God. There's no one else good. He missed that one. So let's just, okay, well, fine. Let's just play that one out. All you have to do then is just complete the law. And incredulously, he names the five easiest commandments. And the guy says, oh, yeah, I've done all of those for my youth. I'm a hero. I'm good at this stuff. (sighs) So then Jesus, one more time, takes one more shot at this. And he says, oh, there's just one thing for you to do then. If you're that good, now what should have it done? Let's stop for a moment. What should have that done when Jesus lays out? He just names five of these commandments, which had to do more with relationship with man. What should have it done to that young man? What should have he said? What should have he said if he was honest? He was, by the way, just his reaction tells us that thou shalt not lie. He blew that one right there. But what should have he said? Yeah, try. I can't get it done perfectly. I do it good. And what did Jesus do? He took that. He said, well, no, there's none good but one. It's just God. That's it. There's no, it's absolute. There's no, there's no marking on the curves here. I remember taking a physics class, and there was a standardized test. And the, even the teacher said, whoa. And it was open book, and we still flunked. But the nice thing was is he couldn't flunk us all. He said, because you guys tried so hard, and I didn't even do very well. Like, what kind of a test is this thing, right? I didn't even know it was the right book for the answer. I remember, what? Where are they getting this stuff? But you know what he did in his... Not in fairness, keep that in mind, in his mercy as a physics teacher, because he felt he wasn't even good enough. Okay, how we doing? He took the high grade as an A. Oh, thank you very much, right? That's not how God can do that, because God is fully, completely, holy, righteous, just to an ultimate 100% level. There's no, nothing, any deviation or deficiency in any way, shape, or form, and he can't do that. It's got to be paid in full. And this rich young ruler... Oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that. I'm right there. I got it. You see, he wasn't looking at his heart. That's what Jesus spent his entire lifetime ministry was peeling open the doorway to your heart. You've got to look inside there. See, it's not about just committing adultery externally. Have you thought on a woman with lust? That's adultery to God. Oh, I imagine those are some... Huh, what are we talking about right now? I can't even... Right? That's what Jesus was after. That's why he went with this guy, and he didn't get it. Just... But then he does one more thing. And in Matthew, we read it. He said, thou shalt or, or, love thy neighbor as thyself. Ooh, that's getting it done now, right? Because this guy loved himself a lot, right? A lot. So Jesus said, okay, just, just one thing then. <laughs> You're that good, and you've kept the commandments. Buddy, you have got it going on. But one more thing. You've got to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor, and then you will have eternal life. Now, you know, that bothers some people. What's he saying? I mean, so you, like, buy your way in? You know, like, you, you, you empty your bank account, you lose your banking account, and then you gain eternal life? No, that's not the point. But for this man, on this moment, and this day, that was the cutting edge that finally he got it. He missed the good. He missed the commandments. But when it was, like, personally, just sell your stuff, then give it to the poor, and that, see, that hit right at his idol. Boom! He hit, it was square on. Jesus couldn't have made it more apparent. You mean, you mean, you mean, you mean, you mean, you mean, like sell all my stuff 
and like give it all, all like all away? I think I said that. Jesus said, it's not there. But, and then he said there was something else. Then come back and follow me. Ah, you can't even follow Jesus unless you worship him. You can't worship him until you get rid of the idol that you are worshiping. Isn't that absolutely true in our own lives? You want to say those times of, you know, that three steps forward, two steps back kind of a thing? And that's not that bad, actually. That's sanctification. It's a process. You're justified once, but sanctification is this ongoing moment by moment for the rest of your life stuff. And there's moments that you fall back. You know what it is? It's because you haven't had your eyes on God. It's not hard. You've had it on something else. Something else has detracted you, has sucked away your energy. That is t- this young man here, he doesn't know it, but he's owned by his possessions and his pride. The two Ps. Oh, there's a lot of people in this world. And ourselves, it's so engaging, isn't it, at times? You know, it, and by the way, money is a great servant. It's a horrible master. It will eat you alive. And this young man didn't even know he was being eaten by it. So how does he respond? This is really sad. It really is. Now, did you notice he's not arguing? Well, how do you dare say that? What does that have to do? And the Old Testament doesn't say nothing. You know what? There's nothing to argue but he made a decision. He went away saddened, exceedingly sorrowful. What did that feel like? What would have you told that young man? Did I, I asked that question, didn't I? I didn't give, give you, didn't give you a chance to answer. Now, most of the time, we would probably say, eh, just believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Now, by the way, that's not wrong. Uh, let's go to a situation that actually did happen. Let's go to um, let's go to Acts, maybe like chapter sixteen, the Philippian jailer. Let's see if I can find that real quick. Acts chapter, I think it's sixteen. Um, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, if you look in 17 for the verse, but you want to be in 16, it doesn't work for you. Uh, Acts chapter 16, and let's look at verse 27. Verse 26. Yeah, verse 25. It's even better. Uh, Paul and Silas are in jail. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God because they were in prison. Oh, what the world? And the prisoners heard them. I'll bet they did. When's the last time you had a worship, a praise service in prison, Right? And then suddenly, verse 26, that's kind of like one of these behold moments. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loose. That sounds interesting. <laughs> and the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing the prisoners had been fled. Why would he do that? Why would you, couldn't you just say this is an act of God like there's an earthquake and every, every, all, of, all of the handcuffed stuff fell off and the doors were open and they got away. I don't know what to do. It's not my fault. It is your fault, isn't it? Because that's the job that you took. You probably even would have taken an oath saying, as keeper of this prison, I absolutely put my life on the line. If I let one prisoner go, I am dead meat. Well, it might have been stated differently, but you get the idea. And so he's done. He's, he says, my, my life is over. But look at this. Now, this is out of, do you see the earnestness in this question? Watch what he asks. He comes to none other than, oh, I'm sorry. 
here's Paul. Paul is probably walking out to prison, you know. Like, I guess this is the, and we were praising worship. Let's go, guys. Come on. Let's go have a party. Let's go worship God, you know, somewhere else. And on the way out, he sees this guy driving this sword. It probably doesn't take a lot of imagination to know, oh, yeah, he's the keeper of the prison. Oh, what's he doing with the sword? Oh, he's going oh, to kill himself, right? So he says this. And what? You, do you see the love now of the Christian, the one that's really looking to, for him? He loves his neighbor as himself. What, what would Paul say? He kind of deserves he's a jerk anyway. Let's keep going, right? He doesn't do that. He says to the guy that could have said, Hi, I finally got one. I'm going to lock you back in prison. No, Paul says this. This is really good. He cried with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. We're not even going to go anywhere if that makes it better. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, do you think he's earnest? Do you think he's honest? You better believe it. This was the end of the life for him. The rich young ruler is a little bit different, isn't it? He came to an add-on. He wanted eternal life. He just wanted more of goodness for himself. Because what? He's good. <laughs> That's what I deserve. This man knew that he was just a moment away, and literally Paul had spared him from committing suicide, from taking his own life. That would be the person that I could go ahead and say, what do I have to do to be saved? I know you guys are different. I've never heard a prayer meeting and a worship service and a praise session in the prison in the middle of the night, and you guys have been beaten. Besides, this is crazy. What makes you that way? And by the way, why didn't you let me kill me? You see what I'm saying? There's something different. Perfect to ask the question. We spoke on, on Truth Seekers on Friday night that having a relationship with those that are around you in the sense of sharing the gospel, the only way they'll have any meaning is if you're truly authentic, that they know you are who you say you are, and that you reach out in love, that you care about that person so they know that you love them. At that point, this is really where we're at. Now, they didn't have a relationship. I'm not trying to say that, but it's interesting. This man asked the question not of the other prisoners that left, or we're going to could have left. He asked it of Paul and Silas. What must I do to be saved? And they said, um, I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to go down to the, uh, the local credit union where you have all your money, and you get rid of that, and you give it to the poor, and then you will be saved. Is that what he said? No. Let's look what he said. You already know, but... And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why didn't Jesus do that? Right? I mean, that's kind of weird. Because that's what, that would be the answer. If, if I'm on an airplane, I've been on airplanes, and you, know, you sit beside somebody, someone you didn't know their name 10 minutes before, you sit down and they're there, or they come and sit down, and you know, you just chit-chat a little bit, and I've had opportunities to, uh, I think I have, still have her letter there. She was actually going through a divorce. And I prayed with her. She was weeping for what was going on in her life. And I said, I'm going to send you a Bible. And I did. And I, she received it. She sent a note back. I don't have any idea where she's at today. But see, those moments of when I reached out, not, it doesn't make me. It's Jesus in me reaching out. And for her to know that she's loved, she can share and open. And there's healing that takes place. This very moment, I believe that jailer, he was honest. Yeah, that's, that's it for me. Richard really went away very discouraged. Why? Because you know what Jesus could have said if he said, you know what, if you just pray the sinner's prayer. If you just believe in me, you're good. You know, I think the rich running ruler would have done that. He never saw a need. This was an add-on. That's what the law is for, is to show a need. You cannot present the gospel in a meaningful way unless you show there is a need because of sin.
The question that he should have been asking, the rich young ruler, is why do I want eternal life? That would have answered it for himself, just as an add-on bonus kit. This one here is the one that should have driven him to his knees. Not wanting to get eternal life, which he bowed down before Jesus. It was the good part. I'm not good. Only God is good. The law, all it does is shows me that I'm guilty. I can't keep the whole law. What am I going to do about it? That's what the gospel truly is. There's not an answer until you know there's a problem. That's most of America's problem today. We just want more goodness. We still want more stuff. We want to be blessed. God bless America. What's wrong with us blessing God? What's wrong with us seeing a Savior for who He is? Why do you have a Savior? Why is He declared as a Savior? Why is He declared a Redeemer? Because we're guilty. That rich young ruler went away that day trading nothing for a future because he continued to worship the thing he came in worshiping, and that was himself. His riches, his pride, everything else owned him. That's what death does, honestly. As, you, as, you, as I've done funerals or memorials, it's interesting. All of us are gathered there, and there's, you know, I'm not taking advantage of anyone. The part of the matter is, is the reason we're here for this event, or whatever you want to call it, is the fact that someone has died. And the reason he died is because of Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Because of a sin. And all have died because of sin. There's something about that that's very frank, but it also opens the opportunity for the gospel to get on the right foot. The law is what leads us to the Savior. It's the Savior that takes us above the law. In fact, let's look at... Uh, when we take, think about seekers... This man would have been seeking fulfillment and goodness and happiness and heaven. But let's go to, let's see where we're going to go now. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Now, some of these would have came from the Psalms, which this is not foreign. You say, well, this guy didn't have the opportunity to read Romans. No, but he did Psalms. There's a number of Psalms that, that Paul would have harvested these particular things from. So let's just go to Romans chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 9. Romans 3, 9. Let's see if we can just see what good really is. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There, watch this, watch this. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of their way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. Oh, did you see that? None that doeth good. Oh, my goodness, Right? No, not one. In case you thought maybe, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way, and the way of peace have they not known. You know what this rich young ruler was really, really missing? Why did he come to you? He had no peace. You saw me someone that's mired in sin? There's no peace. I was on a phone call yesterday, and it had nothing to do with necessarily this, but I was just thinking that his, this man, as far as I know, does not know Christ personally. He's a friend of mine, and we've known each other for a while. But he said, you know, and then he named another guy, which would probably, in my sense of the man, I'm not being God here. I'm not saying that. But the point of the matter was, is he said, you know, both of us have said, I've, we've never had so much anxiety as this spring with all of this weather and all of this stuff, and, you know, we don't know, and there's this, and there's that. And he went on. It was like, oh, my goodness, you know, I, 
I can't really take, right? And you know what? That's what happens when we don't have Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that every single moment of every single day when there's trials and tribulations, stuff that goes on, and there is stuff that goes on, that our life is fully peaceful at every single second. No, but it should be and could be. You know why? Because when we have our eyes totally fixed on Jesus Christ, regardless, whether we have money or don't have money, there's a lot of month left in the other my money a lot of times, right? But that's okay. God knows that. He knows what I need before I even know I need it. That's a relationship that should give us peace. That's what this rich young ruler was missing. He thought it was eternal life. But yeah, it's eternal life. But the thing he was really missing was the Savior, the fact that he was a sinner. And the sin was what was putting that open vacuum emptiness in his life. I can't believe how many people today that I just find, or find whatever it is, that are empty. They are empty today. All of these things that have driven our life in America. I mean, we've had a lot of stuff for a lot of years. After World War II, this country has seen a tremendous blessing. And I could even go back, even, even literally after we were founded as a nation. We should have never made it. Great Britain should have smashed us like a little stinking roach. It should have been over. But God just providentially just guided and directed. And it, I mean, it's crazy, moment by moment. General George Washington, I'm not here to say his spiritual condition, but the man kneeled and he, he prayed to a God. He prayed to his God, right? Why? Because he was real. Abraham Lincoln, at those tough times, they didn't shout it out that they're, they're in charge and they're going to sign that. No, he prayed. How many of our leaders pray today? I don't know, but it's absent, it seems like, from the halls of Congress. Our president, our vice president, the leader of Congress, our house. Prayer isn't even mentioned. In fact, it's, it's frowned upon. We will go nowhere in this nation unless we return to our founding father's principles. That is to worship our God, Right? And the rich young ruler, he didn't have the right God. He didn't have the right God. <sighs> Sad. But let's keep going. Where did I stop? Peace, right? Oh, look at verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Isn't that true? Now we know that whatsoever things... What, um, and now, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what this rich young ruler needed to know when Jesus pops off the first thing. You are not good, young man. There's only one good, and it's God. As, you could have as much money as possible. You could, well, in fact, Solomon, think of how much money that guy. You can't even comprehend it. You go ahead and throw the tons of gold that he received annually and the tons of silver, and it was like, it was like stones. It was amazing. And you know what? His heart was still drawn away, wasn't it? The women that he married, those concubines, it took his heart away from God. He died a very unpeaceful man, the wisest fool that ever lived. This rich young ruler to think of that. Now, again, I'm not here to say that that was the end of the trail. Uh, I can't imagine, though, as him walking away from Jesus, not, not from just someone, from Jesus, who had just literally exposed who his God was without even stating it. No argument. No, well, what could I do? No, none of that. He just walks away, not willing to give up what was really his God. Did he ever come back? I would suspect it would be very hard for him to have done that. He has just been in the presence of the Messiah. He's been in the presence of the Anointed One. He's been in the presence of the Redeemer, the Savior, the one that was going to the cross for him. I don't know how much better you could have it. 
How would you like to stand before God and say, well, I, yeah, one time I talked with Jesus, and he told me that I wasn't really good, and I wasn't keeping the law, but, and he told me to sell all my stuff. But I just couldn't see it his way. Oh, well, there you have it. It's not going to work, is it? That's not relative either. Justice is real. It's fixed. It's done. It's over. Jesus paid the price. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, this is the part that he needed to get a hold of. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For we, I'm sorry, for he hath made him, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Ah, that's what he needed. He needed to be saved, not have eternal life for whatever that meant to him. See, I still don't think that he was looking for salvation. He was just looking for a bonus. That's when people can, well, I want to, I just want to go to heaven. Why do you want to go to heaven? To be with God? Uh, right. Right. I'm right, aren't I? It's true. Most people want to go to heaven, just want to go to heaven because it's a good place. That's not what eternal life's about. It's a quality of life. I want to be in heaven because God's there, because Satan's not, because there's no sin, there's no crying, there's no weeping, there's no sorrow, there's none of that stuff that sin causes. It's over with, and we're there forever. That was way over the top. But that's really what eternal life's about. Yes, absolutely. That's the moment of eternal. Now, again, we are eternal beings. This young man was going to allow that law to literally send him straight to eternal hell. That's what the law was going to do to this young man. And it probably did. I'm not here to say that. But it will if he continued on that path, obviously. When we accept Jesus Christ, our journey then is eternal life. To be one day with him forever, along with all of those others that have trusted Jesus Christ. This young man, sometimes standing before, again, I'm, I'm supposing, but based upon Scripture foundation, he's going to have to defend his position and that he was not willing to stop being an idol worshiper to trust the one that he stood in front of that was literally the giver of life. In fact, described for us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, we read, he is eternal life. He refused. He rejected that one. He stood in front, kneeled before that one and rejected it. Now, that's interesting. He kneeled and rejected him. The opposite of worship. Whew. Now, the one thing that I guess I'd, I'd kind of like to... Uh, I don't know if this is the right time. Let me, let me look at something first. Let's go to let's go to first is it first first Corinthians. Can't remember. Um, oh no, sorry, things are roaming. I, I got too many sevens in my mind. It's Romans seven. I'm sure. Yeah, there we go. Let's go to Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter 7. See, that law... Now, interesting, uh, if we were going to... Before you, hold your place in Romans. We'll be right back. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Talk about credentials. Um, uh, Paul had credentials. Let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. This is Paul speaking to those. He's in prison, and he's speaking to the 
the church at Philippi. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. He's saying, now I'm going to tell you about my background. If any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof that he might trust in the flesh. I'm more than that. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which was in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. I was everything, and yet it was nothing. See, that's where that young man that Jesus was was literally ministering to. He missed it all. That was where all benefits, all those things that he was talking about. Back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We'll start in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? And is the law the problem? No, God forbid. No, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Oh, that seems fitting for our rich young ruler. What would you say he was guilty of? Many of the Ten Commandments, but that one particularly, coveting. Thou shalt not covet. Verse 8, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's exactly right. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. And it slew me. Look at that. That's exactly the condition this rich young ruler would have been in. Watch verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. Stop. So in other words, we can be saved by keeping the law. Isn't that? It's good. It's holy. Right? You can keep it. If you can keep it. It's a big <laughs> if, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Now, if you go to Galatians, what is the law meant to do? Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. It acts as our schoolmaster, our tutor. It guides us literally guides us to the answer. Now, tutor, I think of that, or a really good teacher. You know what? It's amazing how they can take the problem, and, a, and, a, and the student's not able to get it. They just can't get there. And a tutor or a really good teacher is able to navigate those waters, if you will, and they, oh, oh, I see it. And isn't that fun to see that? That's literally what the law is doing, is it's taking a mirror. I wish I should have brought a mirror. Is there a mirror in here? If not, just imagine there's one here, okay? And you pick that mirror up, and you look at that mirror, and that law is showing you for exactly what you are. And this rich young ruler should have not seen a rich young ruler in the mirror. When Jesus said there's no one good but him, he looks in the mirror, and he says, I'm a lost sinner. You know what would have happened? He would have traded his idol of pride and possessions for the giver of life because he knew he was dead without him. That truly is the gospel. The gospel without the sense of sin and its level of, I'm going to just say depravity, all of it sucks you in, that literally then you can't get saved. You can't. It's impossible because you must know you're lost. You must know that you're dead in trespasses and sins. Without that, you can't possibly be saved. That's why the law is so important for you to see where you're standing before you can know where you can go through God's grace because Jesus paid the price. Otherwise, then grace is free, and it just doesn't matter. That's why there's people who can just literally live like there is no God, and yet they still believe they're going to go to heaven because they haven't let the law show them they're guilty of sin. The rich young ruler is the prime example of that. And to think he ran into Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, I'm going to say it, failed in the sense of that man's heart being exposed. Now, Jesus didn't fail. 
He went to the cross and conquered it all. He said, it's finished. Those three words to me just, just echo in my mind all of the time as he's hanging on that cross at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we've been in three <coughs> hours of darkness and finally, just before he gives up the ghost, gives up his spirit because the work is finished and he said this, it is finished. Praise God. The penalty of sin was conquered and the power of sin, even in our lives today, has been vanquished if we look to the Savior for our strength. That's the power of the gospel of Christ. But, you know, notice those two thieves on the cross. Just come to my mind right now. There's one on the right, one on the left. Jesus is in the middle. The one was pretty pompous, wasn't he? If you're really the, the Christ, I mean, he can't, he's hanging there too, but if you're really the Christ, uh, why don't you just kind of like save us all right here now, buddy? And the other one said, stop it. How dare you speak to this one, the Son of God? Please remember me today as you enter into paradise. And Jesus said, today, well, he didn't point, he, today you're going to be with me. What, did you see the difference? The one was prideful to the very end, not knowing where he was. And it, you know what the other man said? In fact, we should read it. It's, it's okay. I'll just paraphrase. He said, you know what? We're guilty. We're supposed to be here. This one is not. This is the son of the living God. Who went away justified? Who was saved that day? The second the second one that was on that cross because literally he humbled his heart. That's amazing, isn't it? But you know what he had to see? He had to see he needed a Savior. Every single person that's ever been saved has had to see that they're lost. You cannot get saved unless you know you're lost. Correct? Now, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Yeah, exactly. Now, we're, let's take just a few moments. Now, there's three verses we didn't read today. Well, there's a lot of verses we didn't read today, I'm sorry. But in Mark chapter 10, it was interesting if, if we follow, follow this kind of this leading that, that Jesus is teaching. Uh, the disciples just before this encounter as they're walking down the road and the rich young ruler attacks this guy, attacks in the sense of behold, um, and he's going to be using it for a teaching moment next week. We'll get into that next week. But just back up a few verses and the disciples were engaged in doing something with the children. And Jesus actually declared how to get to the kingdom of heaven. Now let's go back in, in Mark chapter 10, and let's look at this. It seems almost so fitting when we've just looked at a powerful, rich young ruler. Let's go back to um, uh, dun, 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 Mark chapter 10, and let's look at verse 13. Now he's just finished this, his discourse on divorce, and then he goes in verse 13, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them. These are parents that are bringing their young children and, and blessing them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. That word displeased is very, very strong. There was a reprimand. There was a high level of, of I don't even know if I've got the right word here, but I mean, it wasn't just the fact that, you know, God, come on, guys, let's give it a break. No, no, he came on strong. He said, these literally need to come. These are my children. And we could go, well, maybe do that in a moment. At any rate, here he comes, and he says, he was much displeased, he said in verse 14, Suffer, allow the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and he put his hands on them and blessed them. Those are some really, it's a, it's a very short section. 
But if you, the way we've done it today, I'm hoping even brings more credence to this, these moments that were just before then, after the blessing of those children, he got up and they start walking down the road, and here comes this behold moment. You have this rich young ruler who wants to know how to have eternal life. Jesus had just talked in the presence in the midst of these young kids, these little babies to infants, literally that that is the kingdom of heaven. You must come that way. And the other part of it is that literally, we could go through, I, I, we won't ex- explore it all today, but the fact if a young child, even though, yes, are they, are, is there, do they have a sin nature? Yes, they do. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Because if they didn't, and there are, there are some that have believed that a, a child is born innocent, okay? They're innocent from the standpoint of not knowing right from wrong, but they have a sin nature. And it doesn't take long for that to be exhibited. Grandparents, it's harder for you to admit to that. But parents, it's amazing how that little sin nature, that little sin nature, comes right out in a really big way, correct? But you know what? That youngster, these children that were in front of Jesus would have not known the difference between right and wrong. And in that condition, they are safely in the arms of God. Those are his children. If they die as, a, as an infant, as someone, I think of all of the abortions that have taken place across this world for all of these years, they are in the arms of Jesus Christ. They are His children. They are His children. Now, this rich young ruler, just stepping back, in, if it would have been in his life, and it would have ended before he knew the difference between right and wrong, he would be in the kingdom of heaven. As he went forward, whether he is or not, I would say the chances are very slim. Because he was not willing to trade in his idol for the Son of God in the presence of Jesus Christ. The longer he goes making those negative decisions, it's why we say salvation is better early. That's what we think of kids. Teach them truth. Love them with all the love you can muster. And what's this? There's another one. Teach them. Oh, I'm so embarrassed right now. Okay, maybe I have my notes. Um, bum, bum, bum. Yeah, there it is. It's the most important. That's why I tried to forget it. That's why I tried to forget it. And you say, what is that? What is it, Larry? What is it? See, I'll have you now. This is a great, great moment. Teach the truth, love them in truth, and model the truth. <laughs> That's the responsibility we have as parents and grandparents. Teach the truth, model the truth, love them in truth. Surrounding it all in love. You know what? That's the way to send the kids, when they get to know the difference between right and wrong, that they make the right choices. But it's so comforting. And think of David for a moment. David, back in 2 Samuel chapter 12-ish, right in there, committed the sin with Bathsheba. A child uh, from that union is actually born. And that child ultimately becomes sick and dies. And you remember David, he mourns until the child passed away. And he showered. I guess he showered. Anyway, he took a bath, cleaned up, went and ate, and his, whoa, 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 aren't you going to grieve? No. No, someday I will be with him. Now, think of that in conjunction with the death of another son of David's. That son's name was Absalom. He grew up and he knew the difference between right and wrong. And he took the wrong choice every single time. And ultimately ended up hung in a tree. And Joab, David's commander-in-chief, slew him. Thought he was doing him a favor because, keep this in mind, Absalom had taken the kingdom from his father David. David was on the run, running away from his own son who would have had him killed. Now, if you follow that story of mourning, it went on and on and on and on. And finally, Joab said, 
David, you're making your people look like those ones that served in battle and know you protected your kingship. You're making them feel terrible because you're mourning over a son that would have taken your life. And you know why David did that? Because he would never see that son again. That's strong in the sense of those preborn babies, those infants, those that are that their life is gone before they know the difference between right and wrong. Jesus Christ, not only they are in the kingdom of heaven, that's the way you must come as that innocent, humble, trusting soul that a child brings. And then followed up, it almost seems momentarily, here comes this rich young ruler who's got everything going for him, and he went away lost. More lost than when he came. Why do I say that? Because you have just rejected Jesus Christ personally, himself, making that even more indoctrinating, the sense of the God that you love and you worship. These are powerful things. Now the disciples are taking all of this in. First of all, we're, they, they kind of, hey, 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 you're knocking off with the kids. Hey, Jesus needs his time. Knock it off. Go away. Just get out of here. Go, 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 go. And Jesus said, no, a thousand times no. That's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And they will be in heaven. And then they watched this rich young ruler, and they said, ooh, look at this guy. I know him. He's like down, he's like down the street. He's a ruler of that city. He's a hero, man. And rich, he's got it all going. God really blesses this guy. And Jesus, next week we're going to look at, he says it's so hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. And what? <laughs> See, these are all things that they've been taught. This is what's happening to our nation today. The things that our people are being taught, our kids are being taught, are totally misaligned with truth. I've heard some things on, on the news media, it's just it's incredulous. Biologically impossible. And kids are believing that. They're testifying to it. What the world? That's the, that's what we, so what, teach truth, model truth, love in truth. That's what this nation needs in our kids. Every single child needs that in their lives. There's a lot of stuff going on here, isn't it? So we're going to stop, though, because I'm not going to go in, because we're going to, I don't want to dive into this next part of how Jesus responds to the disciples. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on. We'll save that for next week. Questions or comments today? We've heard that in the Matthew portion. Peter was watching this all go on. You know, with the children. Yep. And he watched the, Jesus with the, with the rich ruler. And then Peter still confused because he said that, Jesus, we've done all this. I've given everything. What's in, what's in it for us? <laughs> yeah. In other words, okay, so, and that is, we're going to talk about that next week, right? So, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, okay. Okay, so Jesus likes kids. We got that part. Uh, the rich young ruler, I'm lost here, buddy. I mean, like, uh, so he didn't want to give, he didn't, what he got out of it probably was this. See, Peter probably missed this, the good part. He probably missed the fact of the Ten Commandments because he would have seen, you know what, who, who in our entire population, I'm speaking for, Pe for Peter now, who in our entire population would have kept every single one of the Ten Commandments every single time? Well, nobody, obviously, but, you know, I'm doing pretty good, right? But that's not, missed it again. Okay, and then the rich young ruler, after being told to sell everything and give it to the poor, I don't think Peter got that either. The part he did get was, then come back and follow me. That's when the rich young ruler took off. So Peter's saying this. Well, we did follow you. 
we did give everything, so what do we get? <laughs> right? Isn't that, that's kind of how sometimes we do it. Have you walked the Christian walk and then things kind of went awry and you say, what? What, what do I got to do? It's not about that, is it? It's not about that. Peter's going to have another lesson. This is going to be, this is going to be quite an opportunity because now the rich young ruler leaves and Jesus says this. In fact, let's let, that's why we're going to leave you today. This is the question. This is the statement that he does. And next week we'll, we'll, we'll make it much more robust, hopefully in God's power. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 10. Or we could go, let's see. Yeah, Mark chapter 10 and uh, verse 23. We'll just follow verse 22. Let's say verse 22. And he, the, the rich young ruler, was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples. It's interesting. And this is a moment he's going to take. He's going to speak to them. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. Can you tell next week's going to be a lot of fun? Because I'm telling you, Jesus is going to get dig right below all of these preconceived wrong ideas. And he's going to find truth, and he's going to mine it, and he's going to behold it, and all of these disciples are going to get this. Maybe not right now, later. That's the, that's the strength of even, let's come back to, you're going to tell me now, uh, kids or grandkids, three things you need to do. Oh, you're on that model. I like it. I missed that one. Uh, teach them, teach them truth. Teach truth, model truth, and love them in truth. That's what Jesus is going to be doing right now. And it's amazing. Some things that we don't even get today. There's something that happened today. Probably in these words they're saying, they're not mine. They're from the Holy Spirit is what we pray. It's from the Word of God. We want to use the Word of God. We probably read more of the Word of God here than probably anywhere else that I go. Because I want you to find the words in your Bible. I want you to read them in your Bible. Because that's where the strength comes from. And when we do that, you know what? Somewhere down the trail, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a year, maybe 10 years from now... Oh, that's what that meant. That's what the disciples had every day after really Jesus Christ raising from the dead. They said, oh, that's Pentecost. Peter, all of a sudden it started to really clear up. There was, as, those, as he was in prison for Jesus Christ, all of those things, they all started to clear up. When John wrote 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, literally Jesus Christ is eternal life. It's the same for us. We grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this encounter that literally this rich young ruler was brought, I believe, by you, Father, to meet Jesus in a situation that ultimately Jesus would speak to his disciples about, but using the encounter, Father, also to expose potentially for the first time for this young ruler. And that particular day after meeting Jesus, after leaving grieve because he had many possessions, I can't imagine what would have happened within his mind. Now being, shall we say, directed by truth and yet resisting because of his love and his worship of pride and possessions. Father, may you take our lives and correct us. Take away the things that need to go away. May we observe to obey you in all things. May we take the things that we've learned today and even made them as they've been even more impressed upon our lives and our minds. Father, we would still to keep them. Father, once again, I pray for each one that's here today. Father, you know everything about them. You know everything that they're encountering. Father, I just pray that you would reach out in grace and love, surrounding them with that, that they would trust you, knowing every single thing you will work together for their good. 
if they're in Christ. Thank you, Father, for what you're accomplishing. We give you our lives today, one moment at a time. Praising you, honoring you, giving thanksgiving for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.